Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Guys, we want to hear from you. It's 855 for the number G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is how you get in touch with us. Also, hey, social media, yeah, we do it, and we do it well. It's Facebook and Twitter. It is Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N. All right, guys, look, it's Wild Card Weekend, and I expect it to be absolutely what the name says, and that is wild. We have had a good bit of history here to understand that Wild Card Weekend can get absolutely crazy. It is a situation where we now have the added wild card, so we have that involved. We also have the first ever Monday night football wild card weekend playoff game. That's interesting as well. So we start to look at the wild card overall and the conversation about the wild card, which we will get into all those teams. And you start to go, okay, you know, is there any stats? Is there any trends? Is there something that we need to know right away? And absolutely there is. You know, each round of the playoffs is very different. And every year it's different. And different teams in different situations. I get all that. I give you statistics. I give you trends of things that happened in the past with the understanding that you use them as a baseline. You don't use them for strictly a handicapping purpose, okay? This should be to lead you in a direction. It should be something that you, uh, you know, you are focused on to an extent. But there are certain statistics that kind of just jump out. And we'll t- tell you about the statistic, and then I'm going to explain it, why the, I think that this one is so meaningful. Well, there's been 18 games in the past four wildcard weekends. So that's four wildcard weekends, four years, 18 games. The underdogs have covered 15 times. They are 15-3 and three against the spread. Four and two last year. Only the Saints and the Ravens got the cover. Okay? So now, in 2022, all six home teams are favored. All six are favored uh, by a pretty substantial amount when you're considering what they should be. Tampa Bay is nearing in on near double digits. The Kansas City Chiefs are double digits favorites. So you start to look at it and you go, okay, will this trend hold up? Is it a trend we should care about? Like I said, it's new teams, new players, new situations, new year. Well, you have to put some credence with this. You do because of the idea that Wildcard weekend, most of the time, the public is driving the idea that the favorites should be massive favorites. The public is driving the idea that the line should be a little bit increased because the public loves the teams that you turn around and you look at and you go, okay, well, this team should win. And you start to use that should word for a lot of what's going on. Well, this wildcard weekend is nothing different than that. I mean, a quick, quick, Look, and we will go over each single game. I'm going to go over every game. But a quick look at just the numbers and where they open to where they are. Las Vegas-Cincinnati is the opening game on Saturday. That's a 4.30 game. You know, that opened up at 6.5. Well, the public kind of likes Las Vegas. It went down to 5.5. Maybe they're learning. Buffalo opened up at 4.5. It's down to 4. Maybe they're learning. But you start to look at Tampa Bay was 8. It's up to 9. Dallas was 3. It's up to 3.5. 
Kansas City opened at 11. It's up to 12 and a half. And the Rams opened up at about four and a half or so. It's up, It's sitting about four and a half. It has gone down a little bit in some places you could find fours. So Cincinnati getting a little bit of love on the underdog, but oh, half a point. Buffalo, New England, oh, Belichick's going to get some love on the underdog. Uh, moved about a half a point. And the Arizona Cardinals moved about a half a point. But the big favorites, Philadelphia and Tampa Bay, I'm sorry, uh, you know, Tampa Bay against Philadelphia, Tampa Bay went up almost a full point already. Kansas City went up a point and a half. I think this gets to 13. I think we're going to see a two-point move there. And Dallas has already moved up a half a point as well. So you're starting to look and say, okay, who's the the teams that are going to cover if we're going this trend? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So we'll start it off with that game that I did mention. Look, Las Vegas against Cincinnati. What we can tell you here is, uh, you know, these two teams have played before. Okay, they played this this season, and you look at what Cincinnati did. They just dominated the game, and Cincinnati has a tendency to do that. They do play games where they dominate from start to end. They do play games where this Cincinnati Bengals team looks near unstoppable, where Joe Mixon is running fantastically, where Joe Burrow just flings it all over the field. They have the star power. You can like what the Raiders are doing, and you can look at the Raiders and say, man, you know, they just defy all logic. And that's true. They really do defy all logic. But, you know, I still don't think they're getting credit for defying that logic. Losing their head coach, losing Henry Ruggs, who was their number one deep threat wide receiver, uh, having multiple other problems on their team. And every single week they're coming out and they are just competing and fighting. Now, Las Vegas was impressive. They were impressive against a Chargers team that just couldn't stop the run. Well, we knew that. I mean, we knew that going in. Cincinnati, though, what is Cincinnati? Well, they're a top five rushing defense against. So Las Vegas is going to have to go to the air. Getting Darren Waller back really does make this a, a big-time situation for them. And Derek Carr is playing phenomenal. As a matter of fact, Derek Carr is even playing the best playoff football right now, or best football he's going going into the playoffs. He's been playing better over the course of the year, but he's been playing phenomenal. He is that team leader. So you look at the Bengals and you go, okay, they have the star power. They have absolutely the better quarterback, even with Derek Carr playing a great year. They have the better running back. I know Josh Jacobs has looked good recently, but they certainly have the better running back. They absolutely have the biggest, this might be the biggest margin of receivers. Look, I like Renfro, uh, but outside of that, I mean, the three, Tyler Boyd is number one on the Raiders, and he's number three in Cincinnati, just to give you an idea. So the offense is, is marketably better. Defense, well, Cincinnati's got a better rushing defense for sure, but they do have holes. You can pass on this team. You can't run on them. The Raiders, meanwhile, they keep their quarterback upright. And that's something I really want to concentrate on here because Joe Burrow has gotten sacked more times than anybody else in the NFL, 51 times. Well, Max Crosby is coming after him. The Pro Bowler has had a phenomenal year. Max Crosby is somebody that you look at, and he can be a difference maker here. The Raiders are going to have to get pressure on Joe Burrow. But you look at Joe Mixon as well, and I think Joe Mixon is a real, real, real key here. Joe Mixon has three rushing games of over 100 yards this year. That's it. That's it. Look, I keep saying how good Joe Mixon is because when he's on, he absolutely takes over. And you can tell me he doesn't get the carries, and you can tell me he doesn't get you know what is needed uh, to kind of make that push. And I understand. Look, y- you have a point. It's a Joe Burrow-led team. But only three games over 100 yards in week one, 
127 against Minnesota. So now, talk about the, the last 17 weeks, he's gotten only two. Well, one of them came against the Raiders at 123 yards. Now, this is the point. Can they get him to rush against this Raiders team? Now, he hasn't rushed for more than 65 yards since November 28th, okay? So you're starting to look at this and you go, can he get it going against the Raiders and this defense that allowed him to rush for 123 last time? Then you go to the history because everyone's going to look at their history here. And the history is that the Bengals just continue to lose and continue to not cover in the playoffs. The Bengals are 0-8 and 0-7-1 against the spread in the playoffs since 1991. Yeah, that's when Boomer Esiason beat Cody Carlson and the Houston Oilers 41-14. You're talking about the last time the Bengals won a playoff game, guys. It was against a team that is now defunct and a uh, a pretty good broadcaster was was the, the guy that was sitting back there flinging the ball around. It, it's the history that people are going to concentrate on. But then there's the idea, look, you don't have to talk about history. And the Bengals are going, wait a minute, we have some history of our own because the Bengals are 10-2 against the spread the last 12 games against Las Vegas, and they beat them this year, okay? The Raiders don't play well in Cincinnati, 0-6 against the spread. It makes sense. The travel is something. But the travel shouldn't be a big problem here because of the uh, late time start, right? They're not starting until 4.30, which is a 1.30 Raiders time, and that's perfectly fine. I will say this, though. The NFL kind of screwed the Raiders here as far as scheduling goes because they did play the late game. The last game, Sunday night, was the Vegas Raiders game. It went into overtime against a division rival. Now they have them playing the early game. Cincinnati by all intents and purposes, took that last game off to kind of get healthy and to just kind of go walk through the motions. So Cincinnati will be fresher, but Vegas does have that bonus of coming in, slaying the dragon. They have the idea of, look, we are up against it. No one believes in us. They have all of that working for them here. And you look at Las Vegas and you see them getting six and a half, and you know it has a feeling that this is a game that Vegas either wins or they get their doors blown off. This doesn't seem like a three-point Vegas Raiders loss here. I think if they the Raiders keep this game close, the pressure's on Cincinnati. Vegas starts getting that magic, that Cinderella feel to them. Vegas starts getting kind of that in their blood. And Cincinnati starts to feel a little bit of pressure, which this organization hasn't felt in, in decades, okay? You start to look at this and you say, Joe Burrow is much better, but the line is a little inflated because of that. I think that this is a game where Cincinnati either blows their doors off and it's a laugher. Maybe we go back to that Boomer Esiason in game 41-14 or Vegas wins this one outright. The one thing I do want to kind of throw out there, though, is, you know, the over-under is set at 49 and a half. I think that Cincinnati will attempt to establish the run but I don't think Las Vegas will. I don't see Josh Jacobs being the guy that tries to go up against his top five rushing defense in Cincinnati. So I do think the ball is going to be flying through the air. Watch the weather report here because that could be a big difference. All right. Now let's go to a place where I would not want to be because of the weather. But I'm not sure another game this weekend is going to have that kind of enthusiasm of Buffalo, New England up in Orchard Park, New York. Buffalo's a four-point favorite. Okay, they split these two games this year. The Buffalo Bills have beaten 
have been beaten down by New England year after year after year, decade after decade by Bill Belichick, who just figures them out, by Tom Brady, who owns a better win-loss record against the Buffalo Bills than anybody in the history of the NFL, including Big Ben against Cleveland. I mean, this is just a domination. But Buffalo has been getting better the last couple of years. These two teams tend to play a very close game. That's why that four starts to look a little alluring with New England. Now, Buffalo and New England are mirror images of each other on defense. They have the number one and the number two defense in the NFL. The Bills defense, well, they're the best pass defense in the NFL. They allowed a league low averages in yards per attempt and yards per game. Buffalo is allowing 4.2 yards per carry. They allow about 110 yards per game this season. That's ranked 10th and 13th in the league. So you can't run on them and you can't pass on them. And everybody starts to turn around and to go, well, look at what New England did. They were actually asked, the Buffalo Bills were actually asked if they were embarrassed of their performance against on a defensive side of the ball against New England in the first meeting, a meeting where Mac Jones threw the ball three times. And listen, Buffalo still had a chance to win at the end of the game. And New England only scored two touchdowns in that game, okay? They were asked if they were embarrassed because that this defense is that good. You cannot pass on them, and they rank 10th and 13th uh, rushing yards against, so you have a hard time running on them. And you could go back to that first game and say, you know, look— New England ran all over them, and they did. Look, Harris was just the guy, okay? In Week 13, it was the terrible weather. It was the three-attempt game. We know that. Damian Harris ran for 111 yards and a touchdown, and that was on 10 carries. He was then removed because of an injury, and Stevenson came in. He put on 78 on 24 carries. Well, that doesn't look as impressive, right? I mean, Damian Harris was running wild. Stevenson came in. He had 78 yards. Well, that's a solid effort on 24 carries. The Buffalo Bills are signing up for 24 carries and 78 yards right now. I can tell you that. Then in week 16, when Buffalo did win and beat New England, Harris came back again. 103 yards, three touchdowns, 18 carries. Wow. Okay, but Jones attempted 32 passes in that game. He had two picks. They make mistakes. Buffalo Bills, for most of the year, led the the entire league in turnover ratio. The idea that Damian Harris is so important to this offense is not a new idea, but I think it's being underplayed here. Stevenson's a good player, and Bill Belichick is starting to rely upon Stevenson. But Damian Harris is the guy that's had massive success. If you put two of his uh, his two weeks together, I mean, you're talking about 111, 103 yards. You're talking about 28 carries for 214 yards and four touchdowns. Damian Harris has found something to beat the Buffalo Bills. With that being said, Buffalo basically dominated the second game. Buffalo won that game 33-21, and it didn't feel that close. Josh Allen was spectacular. And now we start to go back to that conversation as, you know, Josh Allen is the best player on the field. No one's going to question that. But can they get that complimentary second guy? Look, in the first game, Dawson Knox dropped two sure play passes, including the final touchdown, or else they win that game. Okay? Uh, Stephon Diggs dropped two easy passes, including what I believe would have turned into a touchdown, at least uh, deep into the red zone. And what happened there? You know what? They would have won the game. So they need somebody to step up. The interesting thing is that all of a sudden, Buffalo seems to have a running game. as Devin Singletary. Buffalo looks good in that spot. So here we go. It's almost a mirror image of the Cincinnati Bengals. 
You can definitely say that New England has the better quarterback. You can say that New England has the better receiver. I, I'm sorry, uh, Buffalo has a better quarterback. The Buffalo has the better receiver. Buffalo has probably the better offense, even though the offensive line isn't quite up to par. They probably have the better offense overall. Defense, it's 1-2. I mean, they're right there. So you start to look at some outside factors. And when the outside factors come in, everybody always points to Belichick. But there's also the reason of history, where I mentioned it's been since Boomer Esiason, since they've won, and Cincinnati has won a playoff game. Well, the Patriots are 19 and 3 the last 22 games at Buffalo. They dominate this team, absolutely destroy this team. And that's a problem, right? Now, you look at, at the Bills, you know, look, they are a team that is built for this. They are built for this home game. They are built for this weather. They are built to take on a team like a New England Patriots that they are familiar with. They get them at home. I just don't feel comfortable in this spot. Look, I have problems going against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady their entire career. I don't do it often. I don't like to do it because both of them phenomenally prove everybody wrong seemingly year after year. So I have an issue in both cases going against them. This isn't a blind anti-Bill Belichick or anti-Bills thing or a pro-Bill Belichick. I just look at the four points, and I look at this and I go, you know, if it was a three-point game, either way, I think I'd be taking the underdog. Where it stands, I think the Bills win the game. They are the smarter pick. But I'm going to lay low on this one. I can't see this being a spot where I like either team so much that I have to go with it. I think it's my favorite game of the weekend. It's the game I will be tuned in uh, intently upon because I think either one of these teams, and it's a shame that they're both meeting each other in week uh, one here in the wildcard round because I think either of these teams could go on a run and they could not only represent the AFC, but they could win the Super Bowl. I can see Bill Belichick pulling it out with this kind of unit and this kind of defense winning the Super Bowl. Mac Jones does worry me. He hasn't looked good for about a month or so, but I can see uh, Bill Belichick kind of masking that. The Buffalo Bills, well, I picked them before the year to win the Super Bowl, so I'm not going to stop now. I think that the Buffalo Bills are a team that you look at and you go, yeah, this is a Super Bowl caliber team. This is a caliber team in, in, in the Buffalo Bills that absolutely can win the championship. They just need to put it all beyond them. The, the idea here, that they have to slay the dragon to get to their next goal is pretty unique. I, I talk about the Boston Red Sox. And when they won the World Series, they had to go through the Yankees. And they had to come back from an 0-3 deficit. Okay, It's one of the most uh, heart-wrenching days of my you know baseball life, uh, being a Yankee fan. But the World Series was almost a laugher at that point. The World Series was almost a secondary notion. Nobody really talks about them who they played that year, them beating the Cardinals. No, they don't talk about that. They talk about beating the Yankees. Sometimes you have to slay that beast to give your team confidence and to really kind of elevate yourself. Well, this Buffalo Bills team might have to slay that beast. And that beast most certainly is their division rival. That beast is most certainly a team that this year, uh, not only in history has owned them, but this year they, they were forced to answer embarrassment questions even though they only let up two touchdowns in that game. This is the team you need to slay to move on. So while it's a bad game to bet, even the total sitting there at 43, I think it's kind of right on the number. I think it's a bad game to bet. I think it's the best watch of the weekend. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we get back, we're going to go over the rest of the games. And we do have a little interesting note here on Ben's final game. 
All of that and more right after this, right here on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, we're going to take a look back at the odds to kind of take a look forward here. The divisional winner preseason odds of the playoff teams that we have. How about the NFC winner? It was minus 110 Dallas Cowboys. Didn't make a lot of money there, uh, but I know a lot of people were on top of that. Buffalo Bills were minus 150. A lot of people did take a stab at Miami. A couple of people did take a stab at New England. Buffalo was the prevailing favorite, of course. The Los Angeles Rams. Now, this one shifted a lot. So, using a little bit of a leeway here. This one shifted a lot, but they have plus 180 as the preseason odds to win the West. Kansas City was a massive favorite at minus 250. The NFC North, minus 160. Green Bay was a big favorite. Tampa Bay was the biggest favorite at 2-1. to one. The AFC South, that was Tennessee. And if you remember, it was, uh, it was the Indianapolis Colts for a little while, and they flip-flopped with the injuries and whatnot. And the biggest underdog of this season was the AFC North, the Cincinnati Bengals, at 20-1. to one. And that is, what are the odds? It is funny to always go back and look back, because then you could look forward and say, you know, out of these teams, you know, who do you think repeats next year, right? I mean, that that's what we could look at. Out of these teams, who's who's in a position to po- potentially repeat next year? You know, the Cowboys are still going to be strong in a division where, uh, you know, Philly did absolutely improve. But, look, Giants are looking for a coach. Washington's looking for a quarterback. You know, Buffalo, is New England going to be that much better? Uh, the Rams are in a very tight division. KC, look, Chargers are looking good. The Raiders are in the playoffs. Denver, they might be going to get out and get, get Rodgers, getting a new uh, head coach. Rodgers leaving Green Bay, that could flip. The Bengals, uh, you know, look, Baltimore's not going anywhere. I mean, I think Cleveland's a, in a bad way. Pittsburgh could have a down year. So Baltimore, uh, you know, is the only kind of real immediate threat there. Tampa Bay, well, we don't know about Brady every year, but he looks pretty secure there. And then Tennessee could be very volatile with the Colts. I mean, you're looking at this and I'm saying, you know, I I worry about New England. I think Dallas could slip a little. Uh, The West is a mess. I worry about Rodgers. Kansas City's division is kind of up and coming. You got to say Tampa and Cincinnati, weirdly, the biggest favorite and the biggest underdog where we stand today might be the biggest picks to actually move on. Huh. That, that, that's kind of an interesting scenario when you would take a look at it like that. All right, let's move on to the other games. And we're going to move on to the Sunday games here. Philadelphia and Tampa Bay. Just mentioned Tampa Bay. And you start to look at who the Tampa Bay Bucks are. They are fantastic at home. That's who they are. This team just dominates at home. They dominate where they are. The Bucks have won seven straight in January. They do well there. They're 10 and 2 against the spread the last 12 home games. They are fantastic in Tampa Bay. Um, you start to look at Tom Brady, and I mean, what else can we possibly say? Most touchdown passes in a single season for the Buccaneers all time. Tom Brady this year, Tom Brady last year, number one and two. As a matter of fact, Tom Brady is the second all-time touchdown passer in franchise history with 83. The all-time mark is 121. So if Brady comes back next year, he's the all-time and he's only going to be there for three years. Now, let's talk about the conditions in Tampa, because this could become a problem here. 
the winds are supposed to be 20 to 25 mile per hour. The total has now fallen down, only down to 47, though. I can I, I expect this to continue to fall. So this is something that you want to kind of maybe take advantage of if you're an under player now. Uh, you want to get on it as quickly as possible because I think that this is going to continue to fall. And the more that we hear about the wind, the more that we hear about the problems, the more that we hear about that, you're going to continue to see that fall. Let's talk about the Eagles, though. Look, the Eagles have to run the ball, and now you're starting to see the wind. Well, you can't run the ball effectively on Tampa Bay. They did go through a little span there where a four- and a six-game span, they were allowing 4.6 yards per carry, but that was more because teams were forcing it. Well, I think that Philadelphia is going to force it here. And then you look at the defense. How are they going to defend Tom Brady? And Brady does get Leonard Fournette back. Uh, Evans looks really good. They're not going to get Godwin back, but Gronkowski looks good. Remember, he got his seventh catch for the million-dollar bonus, so you know he's going to be happy. But the defensive line of the Eagles is an interesting scenario to look into. This is what I want to dive into because I think that this is the key to the game. Look, the Eagles' defensive line, they are 31st in sacks in the league. They only sacked the quarterback 29 times. Okay, just for comparison, Joe Burrow was sacked 51 times by himself and missed a, you know the game there. They are 11th in hurries, though. So they seem to get to the quarterback. They just can't get the job done. Well, they are very capable of hurrying Tom Brady. It's hard to bring Brady down. Not because he's elusive you know, as a big-time runner, and not because he's a hard big guy to get down like Big Ben, but because Tom Brady is that guy that he's got that quick release and he's got good feet inside the pocket. So you start to look at that. They do hurry, but they don't get to him. That's something to pay attention to because the Eagles, they have blitzed in only 16% of defensive snaps this season. That is last in the NFL. Now, Brady loves the blitz because Brady can pick apart the blitz and you start to look at it. But Brady is basically the same guy with or without the blitz. He's basically uh, the same good player with or without the blitz. So it is something to start to keep an eye on if they start to kind of come after him. Brady is not going to be exceptionally better or worse, but the Eagles have to come up with some idea here that, okay, we can get after the passer, but we can't seem to get home. We've got to get home to have any chance in this game. I think that this is, again, another game where either the Eagles pull that miraculous win or they get totally blown out. Uh, they are 3-14 and 14 straight up in the last 17 games as an underdog. They are not a team that I like right now. They're not a team that I believe in. I've been selling on them all year. But the Bucks do have a lot of issues and a lot of problems. I just don't believe that Jalen Hurts is going to be able to go through the air and, and beat Tom Brady. And that is what you're going to have to do in this game. You're going to have to go to the air, and you're going to have to beat Tom Brady through the air. It doesn't seem realistic to me to think that that is something that can happen. Not in this game, not in this spot, not at home, not against the Bucs. No, I just don't see it happening. And you did see the fight in the Bucs. And I love to see that enthusiasm of the Bucs where... Uh, you know, when they found out they were the number two seed, people went absolutely crazy. The, the locker room was going nuts. You like to see that, guys. That's something that it, it shows you that that hunger is still absolutely there after winning the Super Bowl last year. All right. Dallas, San Francisco. Dallas, three-point favorite. It's gone up to three and a half in some spots. Uh, total is 50. Well, the Cowboys just absolutely own the NFC. 11-1 against the spread the last 12 conference games. The only one that they did lose, they lost at home to Arizona, which did show us a little something about who they are. Well, the 49ers, they play well when it matters most. They 10-1-1 against the spread of the last 12 games played in January. All right, that's something to pay attention to. Now, the Cowboys, look, they don't play well in January. They're 1-11 against the spread of the last 12 games played in January. They were, and then they blew out Philly, all right, you know, in, in a game that really didn't matter. So who are the, the Dallas Cowboys? 
what we know is that they have had multiple injuries across the forum all year long, but not really stacked injuries, right? Ezekiel Elliott missed some time. Tony Pollard missed some time. Uh, we know Dak was hobbled at times. They missed some offensive linemen here or there. Um, some of their wide receivers, and I know Gallup's out for the season. So they were banged up, and it's no excuse for what the Dallas Cowboys went through. Dallas has shown us at times they have simply the best offense in the league. They very potentially have the best offensive line in the league. They very potentially have the best running game in the league. They very potentially have an MVP-style quarterback. But I say very potentially because it's all potential, right? Zeke Elliott hit a wall this year for about a five-game stretch where it, it looked like, well, why are we not just giving the ball to Tony Pollard all the time? Now, Tony Pollard gets more of a workload, and he doesn't seem to be able to handle the workload because he's injured and constantly missing and off the field. All right, we know the potential there, but can they put it together? Dak Prescott... His own owner said, well, he's in a slump. You know, that slump lasted more than a month. And that slump was in a spot where you go, I wonder if that injury is kind of lingering. Dak admitted at times this year that maybe he forced it a little bit. Maybe it came back a little little too soon. Look, with the receivers that you have, I don't think that's an excuse. I don't think that that's an answer, right? I mean, I'm looking at this team and I'm going... So goes Dak is how this team goes. And you want to talk about the running game. And the running game has to be paramount because their offensive line is so good. The running game for the Dallas Cowboys is explosive. If the Cowboys basically rush for 120 yards, they don't lose the game. I I mean, it's just that simple. As a matter of fact, they have not lost a game in a game where they have rushed for more than they've thrown in a couple of years. That is the Dallas Cowboys. So you have to get Zeke going. You have to get Pollard. But this game, to me, is all on Dak's shoulders. He has, I know, not a full compliment with Michael Gallup, but basically he's got all of his position players. He's got a dominating offensive line. He's got a back-to-back two running backs that can be effective. C.D. Lamb is very underutilized, but he's a guy out there. you got Wilson. Uh, you have Schultz. I mean, they have everything they need to really put the clamps down on this Dallas team on the offensive side. Defensively, Well, Dallas is led by somebody that has been pushed to get defensive MVP. He won't, but he's going to get defensive rookie of the year. And guess what? They might finish 1-2 between Diggs and Parsons in defensive rookie of the year. I can see that happening. And you start to look at that and you go, okay, well, how much will the first time in a playoff game affect their rookies? Because they are definitely relying upon their rookies. You know, I don't think that either one of these guys are spotlight shy type of guys. They are out there. They're uh, you know very loud. They've played for big-time programs. I don't think the playoff spotlight is really something that I, I am concerned about with either one of these players. So overall on the defense, I think that their defense can play fine. My thing is this. I do think that Dallas's defense is overrated overall. Over all year long, they have been a little overrated. Let's be honest. They played Jalen Hurts twice, and I know he's a playoff uh, quarterback, but look, they played Jalen Hurts t- twice. Uh, Taylor Heineke twice, Daniel Jones in the collection of the New York Giants twice, and that's six games. That'll pad some stats right there. You know, you see them go up against a Kyler Murray and he completely exposed them. Well, that is still fresh in my mind for this game. Now let's flip over to Dallas, uh, for San Francisco from Dallas. Well, San Francisco is the team that everyone keeps saying, you know, you don't want to face them. You don't want to face them. You don't want to face them. Well, yeah, maybe. Right, maybe, because they do have some key elements. You start to look at their team and you go, okay, they can run the ball effectively. Elijah Mitchell, even Wilson, whoever they put back there. Debo Samuel is that Swiss Army knife that you don't know how to counter. Uh, George Kittle is a nightmare matchup problem. 
and defensively. You have Bosa coming after you. You have, you know, an inside with Warner. Okay. They are solid everywhere. But are they exceptional anywhere? You know, Jimmy G is a solid quarterback. He is not an exceptional quarterback. Now, he does make mistakes in big spots. This could be one of those spots where he makes mistakes. You know that Dallas is going to come after him, and Dallas is going to try to get into his grill to kind of make him make some of those mistakes. All right, well, that's Jimmy G. Elijah Mitchell, he's been banged up all year. He is a rookie playing his first playoff game. George Kittle's been asked to block more than catch the ball for whatever reason. Recently, that's kind of a ridiculous situation. You look at Debo. Debo seems to be unstoppable. But if I'm Dallas, what I'm doing is I'm double, triple, and quadruple teaming Debo Samuel in this spot. So you start to look at Dallas, and it, you know I start to, to say, okay, I have a formula for slowing down this offense. On the other side, look, San Francisco is good in some positions. They can get after the quarterback. They are not great at stopping the run, and they absolutely can get that, that deep pass thrown on them. And it's not consistent a consistent passing attack, but that deep threat. And that deep threat screams C.D. Lamb to me. I'd be very concerned about C.D. Lamb on their side, very concerned about Debo Samuel on the other side. This is a, a spot here where I think everyone likes the underdog. And we just read 15-3 and three against the spread are the dogs. Seems like everybody likes San Francisco. The money is coming in on San Francisco, even though Dallas is a publicly bet team and the line is going up. The money is coming in on San Fran. I think that Dallas is getting a little underrated here. San Fran's a little overrated. But another game where I don't love either. If I'm forced to choose, I'll say Dallas very, very tight. But it wouldn't shock me to see not the Niners not only win here, but go on a little bit of a run. The last thing I think you do have to remember is everyone's looking at Shanahan against McCarthy, and Shanahan clearly has the advantage. But there's a reason why McCarthy's assistants are getting jobs or at least looks and interviews for job offers because he does have good assistants. If he's able to delegate properly, that mitigates a lot of the Shanahan effect. All right, let's go to Pittsburgh, Kansas City. In KC, this line is now 13. It may get to two touchdowns. I can't find anybody that likes Pittsburgh in this game. Certainly not to win, and and the points are massive. Now, the total has dropped. It's down to 46. So people like Kansas City to absolutely annihilate and blow this team out of the water. Well... (laughs) <laughs> they did it in the first meeting, right? So they've already played Pittsburgh. The game wasn't even that close, and the game still looks like a blow-up anyway. The Steelers, what they are, are uh, they can be run on, and they can be run on all day. Since week eight, they have just a disgusting, disgusting rushing against the total. It's unbelievable. Think about it like this. The Chargers basically all year long was the worst rushing defense in the NFL, and they were allowing between 160 and 165 yards per game, which was about 10 yards worse than everybody else. That was most of the year. Since week eight, the Steelers are up along 175 yards per game. It's absolutely outstanding how bad this team has been. Now, the Steelers are money as an underdog. Mike Tomlin constantly gets his team prepared in the underdog role. They are 19-7-1 against the spread. The last 27 as an underdog. They are also pretty good in conference. Teams that they know, they're 7-2 against the spread the last nine conference games. But that rushing game continues to come back to me. Here's the thing, though. Will Andy Reid allow them to try to run the ball? Look, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a little bit banged up. Williams and Gore and whatever collection you put back there, it doesn't scream domination. And You're taking the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. And by the way, 
Patrick Mahomes, who oh, he was everybody was broken, right? Oh, I can't stop throwing interceptions. Well, he's got one pick on 78 more passes than he did last year. Or it did in 2018, I should say, which was his highlight year. So Mahomes is still that dangerous guy. You have to look at this and think that Tyreek Hill is banged up but probably coming back. I think that Pittsburgh is definitely going to get after the passer because, look, uh, Mahomes, he doesn't take sacks, but this offensive line for Kansas City can be exposed. So Watt's going to live in the backfield. The new NFL sack leader, he's going to live in the backfield. But they have multiple positions that can do that. The big matchup here is that Minka Fitzpatrick on Hill. Do they put him one-on-one? Because if you do put him one-on-one, then Kansas City is almost forced to go to that. We have to run the ball. We have to do short passing game. You can see Travis Kelsey have a fantastic game. If that's the case, though, 13 points starts to seem like a lot. If Kansas City isn't tossing it all over the field and becoming that team that goes deep and the team that, look, we've seen the second half of the season, well, that all of a sudden starts to become something that you look at and you go, yeah, you know, I I think 13 could be a little bit much. Then you look at the other side, and this Kansas City defense was underrated early in the season, and then they were massively overrated, and I think that they're still in that overrated camp. Look, for a while there, it looked like the Chiefs defense figured it out. For a while there, you started to look at this Chiefs defense and you said, okay, they held Washington to 13 points. All right. Taylor Heineke. They held the New York Giants to 17 points. New York Giants to 17 points? Uh, okay, well, who was that? Oh, that's Daniel Jones. I'm not overly impressed. Then they held Green Bay. They held Green Bay to 7. Yeah, that was Jordan Love. Then they held Las Vegas to 14. Yeah, you know what? That's still not overly impressive to me. Holding Dallas to 9, you know, certainly you go, okay, well, that that's another big game, right? Holding Dallas to 9. Dak Prescott was in the beginning of that pretty rough slump right there, but I, I got to give him some credit there. Then Denver, not worried about that. Vegas, who they have their number. And now recently, you know, the Chargers put up uh, 28. The Bengals put up 34. Denver put up 24 in the last game. And, and in between that is the Steelers, who only put up 10. Looking at that game from Week 16 can tell us some. It can. Ben Roethlisberger only threw for 159 yards. Najee Harris, though, he was getting fed, and I think he's going to get fed the ball again, and I think he's going to get fed the ball quite a bit here in this spot. Again, that slows down the game. If I'm Mike Tomlin, I want to slow this game down as much as possible. I want to keep Mahomes on the sideline, and I want a game that is slow, methodical, defensive to keep this close. And even if they don't win, you've got to expect that that kind of game and that kind of situation and that kind of spot favors the giant 13 points. As far as the over goes, you know, it depends on what you think about Pittsburgh. I think no matter, even the best Pittsburgh fan believes that Kansas City is probably going to get to the mid-20s, right? So we'll say 24, maybe they get 27 points. Even the most optimistic Pittsburgh fan believes 24-27 is in the cards for this. So the question is, how much do you think Pittsburgh can get, right? If you believe that Pittsburgh can get to the mid-20s and make this a game, you're all over the over. If you believe that Kansas City blows this team out and they score 35, like you got to be on the over. The only way that you're looking at the under in a game like this is if you think that Pittsburgh just doesn't show up. They score 10 points or less. 
And that right there is the way that you have to break this game down. I lean Pittsburgh with the points. I lean the over because I don't think I could get burned on both sides. I think if you take a team in the NFL with double-digit points, nearly two touchdowns, and you look at uh, you know the Kansas City Chiefs and you go, okay, well, they could blow them out or they could play, play close. Yeah, you give me that team and the over. I don't think I could get burned on both. So it's an interesting strategy to kind of take a look at, not only for this game, but down for the future as well. Speaking of the future, let's go. Back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to the future. future. All right, guys, let's go bet to the future. And congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs. They beat Alabama, and you could have got 10 to 1. I saw somebody having a ticket of 11 to 1 preseason odds. Well, let's look at the preseason odds for the NCAA championship winner which would happen next year, 2023. Georgia is the favorite with Alabama. They are tied for the favorites at plus 325. Ohio State comes in at 7-1. Clemson at 12-1 if you're looking for a rebound there. Oklahoma 15-1 without Lincoln Riley. Does Harbaugh stay or does he go? Well, it's 20-1. Same thing with Lincoln Riley. Speaking to him, he's 20-1 as well. Notre Dame always in the mix. They're 25-1. Texas A&M, people believing in Jimbo Fisher could get 25-1. And the Texas Longhorns, are a shocking 40 to 1. That is bet to the future. Yeah, you know, uh, the, the college ranks are quite interesting. <laughs> you know, uh, we didn't give it a lot of attention here um, over the, the course of the season. I uh, try to touch on it as much as I possibly could. But I, I think, look, I think at the end of the day, I gave a pretty good synopsis last week on what I did believe. I did have the under. It barely came under, but it cashed everywhere. Uh, there was nobody that got a bad line that didn't get the under. And, I, you know, I didn't bet the game. I told you I didn't like the game because I thought out that thought Georgia was the better team. I thought that in the first contest where I lost money, I thought Georgia was the better team all year long. I still believe that Georgia was the better team all year long. They had kind of one fluke game. But I just couldn't bet against saving plus points. I couldn't do it. I just could not do it. And, you know, I, I guess the books kind of knew that. That's why it was only three. But people bet Alabama like crazy down to two and a half. I didn't touch it. I didn't go near it. I went very, very small on the under after convincing myself I would not touch anything. Did a little play on the under, so I cashed it. But I'm not I'm not bragging. I just I, I do believe that it was one of those years where I, I almost didn't care about the national championship, but it was a good overall national championship. It was a the, the best two teams in the country, I guess you could say. I didn't believe Alabama earned that right. Uh, you know, they had a, a lot of stumbles along the way. But I certainly look at the preseason odds and I go, how do you not take plus 325 that they're going to get back there? Now, Georgia could fall off. It's hard to repeat. But how do you not take Alabama plus 325 to kind of regroup? Outside of that, you know, I don't love anybody here. You know, I, Ohio State makes a lot of sense to kind of just regroup. But I do believe that the Big Ten is going to still be very tough. I don't know if Harbaugh's even coming back, so you can't take that. Oklahoma's bound to lose something by losing their head coach. Clemson, uh, ugh, ugh, it's, it's hard. I believe in Dabo, but I don't know if I believe in what Clemson can just turn around for the miserable season they had. USC, look, it's going to take some time. And even if they get there, they're not beating one of the USC, one of the SEC big-time teams. Notre Dame right there. I'd like to see who they got coming back. But again, they lose their head coach. I don't know, I don't know if that's going to be a massive drop-off uh, like the Lincoln Riley or the Harbo would be. But still, I don't like that. Texas A&M, I certainly don't like Jimbo. Texas Longhorns, I think that's a, a complete and ridiculous overreaction. You look at the college landscape, there's not a lot of teams that could win. And there's even less teams this year going into next year, you know, that that are potential to win to me. I mean, you really do break it down. In the Pac-12, 
I mean, maybe an Oregon could do something. Maybe a USC. I don't see either one of them contending for a title, though. You know, in the ACC, the ACC is down. You know, Florida State goes down and the whole ACC kind of goes down. Nobody's believing in North Carolina without Howell. Wake Forest, one and done for them. So, I mean, I guess Clemson wins there. But do you think that they could go and kind of compete even bigger? No, I don't see that. Right? So, you basically have three conferences. And like I said, Lincoln Riley's leaving Oklahoma. Do you believe in Okie State? Believe in a Kansas State coming up? Maybe a TCU? Uh, somebody like that? Texas, uh, you know, Tech? Nah, even if they get there, they're not winning the, the title. So where is the title coming from? SEC or the Big Ten? I mean, if Harbaugh stays, you got to still put Michigan up there. Ohio State's going to still be up there. Every year we hear about Nebraska coming on. Uh, maybe this is the year they put Iowa puts it together. Well, I've been waiting decades for that and some kind of offense in Iowa. Is it the, the year Penn State does it? Nah, I don't see that either, <laughs> right? Um, you know, can, can you get a crazy surprise like Northwestern? Ah, come on, not to win the championship. Wisconsin is always a team that's kind of looked beyond people always look past Wisconsin but the problem is is that if you bet on this unless you're just looking strictly to hedge which I get you know are you really betting on Wisconsin to just go out there and then they're gonna have to beat one of the big boys eventually I I don't like that at all so you know we go back and we start to stare at the SEC we go uh, you know I don't think Texas A&M Florida I don't think they're quite ready to make that that run you start to look around, you go, the Arkansas, the old Miss, the Mississippi states of the world. Nah, not really. Tennessee's uh, still a year behind or so. Kentucky, look, I like what they're doing, but they're not ready to compete. So you have Auburn, maybe. LSU, I don't know if he could turn it around, Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly, uh, I don't know if he could turn it around that quick. I, I don't think so. So what do we look at? You know, what are we potentially looking at? What we're looking at right now is Alabama against Georgia. <laughs> so when I look at Alabama against Georgia and I see minus 325, yeah, I, I'm not sure. You know, I, I really don't know. I, I don't think that you could go against them. I just don't think so. So minus 325 seems like a big number. It seems like a big number because you have to let it wait that whole time. Seems like a huge number. But in the reality of it, you're getting three to one back on on a pretty sure shot here. As a matter of fact, if you want to be really, really sly, and I know, look, sports betting, a lot of sports betting is kind of try not to outthink yourself. I tell people that all the time. But there are times where you could kind of think and kind of be that snake in the grass. You know, if you're a, a low-level better and you're a $100 guy, you know, you don't want to use this strategy. But if you're a high-level guy, and you don't mind your money sitting and waiting for a while. Why not take like ten grand on plus three twenty five Alabama, ten grand on plus three twenty five Georgia, and just assume that no matter what, you're getting one of them in the final four. Chances are you might get two of them in the final four. And really, the way that it's been going, one of them's in the final game. Right? So you're only gonna win two, you're only gonna double your money. Okay, if only one of them gets there, but it's not a bad spot. And if you're the hedging type, all right, you get Georgia or Alabama in that in that spot plus the three three twenty five. If they get to the championship game, they're going to be favored over whoever else is out there. So then you take the other team, and now you got a, a chance that you can't lose. I mean, this is this is the way that a professional can break it down. I don't know many professionals that want to keep their money held up that long. I don't know many professionals that think. Plus 325 is value. 
um, on a long-term futures bet. But I'm giving you a game plan of what you could potentially go out there and kind of accomplish. You could potentially go out there and take a shot at that. All right, one game left here, Monday night wild card. And it's the first Monday night football wild card playoff game ever. We got the Cardinals and the Rams. And the Rams are four-point favorites here. Uh, the total has gone down from about 51. It's down to about 49.5 or 50, depending on where you're looking. Look, the Cardinals are, are just a tale of two teams. I mean, there's no way around it. Cardinals finished with 11 home wins, but they just seemingly could not win at home overall. They had eight wins on the road. Well, here they are in a spot that they enjoy. They enjoy the road. Don't think that they don't. But they are a tale of two teams. Okay? They went 7-0 and to start the season, and they lost four of their last five to end the season. They did beat Dallas in a game that they looked fantastic in. They actually only won that game by three. They beat Chicago before that in a game when, when Murray was coming back. <clears throat> I get it. He was coming back. But you know what? They struggled against Chicago. Before he went down, it was McCoy. How do you judge the McCoy games? Well, they beat Seattle. You know, it was a decent showing. They beat San Fran with McCoy. But who did they really beat overall on the year? All right, they beat Tennessee in week one. I give him credit there. Minnesota? Eh. Jacksonville? Eh. You know, they beat the Niners twice. It's it's solid. And they beat the Rams. Cleveland? Houston? Seattle? Chicago? So th- their wins, basically, nice win against Tennessee way back in week one. Nice win against Dallas. Very, very much so. I just uh, mentioned that. And then they beat teams that they know. Looking at this Rams team, it- it's kind of a little bit the same, right? I look at the Rams team... And I go, I'm still not buying in. I'm still not convinced. Because I look at the Rams schedule, and it's kind of the same thing. You beat Chicago, a banged-up indie team, and then a nice win against Tampa Bay. Then Seattle, New York, Detroit, Houston, Jacksonville. These are your wins. Seattle again, Minnesota, Baltimore without Lamar Jackson. To me, they have two quality wins. The entire year. Tampa Bay way back in week three, which was a fantastic win. And Arizona in week 14. Those are the two wins you have all year. So while we can make a a big stink about the product on the field when we're talking about the Arizona Cardinals and what they were, you know, I'm not overly impressed. You know, everyone's talking about, well, the Rams came back and the Rams won five of the last six. They did win five of the last six. And they beat... Jacksonville, Seattle, Minnesota, and no Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. That's who you, That's who they beat. Are you really that impressed? No playoff teams there. Baltimore didn't make the playoffs. Minnesota didn't make the playoffs. Seattle didn't make the playoffs. Jacksonville didn't make the playoffs. Right? Chicago didn't make the playoffs. Indy didn't make the playoffs. Probably should have, but they didn't. Seattle again. New York, Detroit, Houston. Where is a win against a playoff team? Oh, well, they got Tampa and they got Arizona. Okay, but they did go one and one against Arizona. So what about their losses? They lost to Arizona, a playoff team. They lost to Tennessee, a playoff team. They lost to San Francisco, a playoff team. They lost to Green Bay, a playoff team. They lost to San Francisco again, a playoff team. One in five against playoff teams. That speaks volumes as well. You know, you can't just look at this as a one-dimensional thing. If we're going to rip apart the Arizona Cardinals, you got to rip apart the Rams in this spot. That's what they are. This Rams team is exactly that. They're a flawed team. They have a flawed quarterback. They have a quarterback that I'm worried about. 
I, I know Matt Stafford has looked better here, but I'm worried about this quarterback. I'm not worried about Kyler Murray. Now, a lot, there's a lot of things on Arizona that I don't like. I don't like the fact that I don't believe consistently in their run game here. I don't believe that James Conner's the guy. I don't believe that Edmonds. Now, can they have a decent run game? Sure, but I don't think they can lean on the run game. But I believe in Kyler Murray. I certainly don't believe on the guy on the sidelines. I had, uh, you know, Ed Smith on with me who basically had the same sentiment. I still don't believe in, in Kingsbury. I, th- I do worry about Kingsbury on the sideline, but I do believe in Kyler Murray. And then on the defensive side, you can throw on Arizona, right? You could kind of run. They will get after a passer. They can make a big-time play. We saw it happen with Peterson last week. But I'm not terrified of their defense. The Rams, you know, they are well, well, and just massively talented. I mean, they are well-coached as well. I have no worries about their head coach. I don't worry about their running game. I actually think can be fine. I don't worry about their receivers with Cooper Cup setting every kind of record and Odell kind of just reinventing himself. I don't worry about their defense up front. I think they're going to get, you know, Aaron Donald's the best in the business. We know that. Jalen Ramsey one-on-one. But they do have a lot of injuries here, guys. And those injuries are something to really pay attention to. The injuries are, are, it's a big problem. Look, Eric Weddle just unretired because Jordan Fuller, the Jordan Fuller is uh, was lost to a season-ending injury last week. He is their defensive play caller. Now Jalen Ramsey's going to have to call the plays? That's a weird situation. So Eric Weddle unretires to take that spot because Taylor Rapp is also injured and Darius Williams is also injured. So here's the thing. I don't have a lot of faith in the Arizona Cardinals, but I believe in one guy. And that's Kyler Murray. He's the best player on the field nine times out of ten. And he's going to be able to take advantage of a depleted secondary. So the one area that I trust is the most aching area for the Rams. And then you look on the other side and you go, okay, well, can Stafford outgun him? Stafford has looked good. But we do know the reputation that Matthew Stafford doesn't beat good teams. Matthew Stafford doesn't win big games. Matthew Stafford doesn't win in the playoffs. He's got everything in front of him. But what's in front of him that I worry about is the offensive line. Matthew Stafford gets pressure. I'm sorry, I can't see him succeeding here. Matthew Stafford against Kyler Murray, to me, is a no-brainer. I think Murray is massively more impactful. I think Murray is massively more dangerous in this spot. And if when push comes to shove, if you look at these teams, I think the Rams have the talent. I think the Rams have the coaching. But Kyler Murray is enough here. For me to be nervous. Kyler Murray stands in the way of me saying, you know what? I love the Rams. I don't know if I love the Cardinals, but I love Kyler Murray. And if they don't outcoach themselves in this game, his explosiveness, his athleticism could be the difference maker here. All right, guys, enjoy the wild card weekend. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.